Hey, Interwed family, this is Pastor Rudy Rodriguez, Calvary City on the Hill in Provo, Utah. Just wanted to thank you all for listening and or watching via the World Wide Web and joining us in worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ or just seeking more information about God. If God puts it on your hearts, would you be willing to join us in partnering through giving to the ministry to bring the gospel to all the world by visiting our website? cityonahillut.org that's cityonahillut all one word dot org and clicking on the donate button any free will offering would be appreciated very much thank you so much god bless you it is that time of the year when we can we can uh, proclaim that and uh, we can do it from the uh, as we said uh, wednesday from the rooftops to tell people about jesus and uh, this time of the year affords us the uh, um, the opportunity and the uh, more of the the graciousness of people. It just seems like for whatever reason that there's more of that uh, graciousness at this time of the year. So last time we were um, in Isaiah, we were in Isaiah 11, and we were talking about. We spent almost a month just talking about that saving branch, and. As we go into Isaiah chapter 12, it's, uh, it's appropriate that um, here in Isaiah 12, it, uh, it just happens to fit where we're at, the season. It happens to uh, uh, line up greatly with the hope and the forgiveness that we can find, and it's only in that one person, in that saving branch. So we're still going to be focusing on that, but to focus while it's still on that saving branch, it is also simultaneously... It is also shifted in, in it's to the one who benefits from the saving branch, the one that's promised to come. And so we're in that, uh, um, as we go from uh, in the season of, of uh, Advent and here in Isaiah, um, it's, it's a, a continuation from uh, chapter 11. And if you remember in the, in the ancient uh, writings that uh, there was no chapter breaks, there was no verses it was uh, it was just a flow of, of, of the way that they uh, the way that we have our Bibles broken up today is you know beneficial to us. It helps us in a lot of ways. We can we can go to the street and the address where we can find what we're looking for. Um, but it wasn't that way then. And when Isaiah, when God was speaking through Isaiah, one of the things that uh, um, that was fortunate is that we we've, we've got this continuation of this idea. And so we're in Isaiah chapter twelve, and that's going to fit so beautifully into all of the things that, uh, that we're celebrating, including communion. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a, a amazing how God puts things together and how He continually works and providentially, uh, which tells me that the, of the evidences that if we're willing to look, the evidences of an almighty God, an omniscient God, who is uh, omnipotent and He's the... He's omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. And it's not like, a, you know, it's like, it's not the, the, uh, uh, the way that some people believe falsely that God is everywhere and he's in everything and so on and so forth. Nothing, nothing like that. It's just that he is. His presence is everywhere. Everywhere you look around the, the world, of, the word tell, tells us, his word tells us that the world, his creation, it, it, it glorifies him. We see his glory everywhere. So Isaiah chapter 12, let's read these uh, verses. There's six verses. It's a short chapter. 
It, remember, it's a continuation. And, and we've been talking about the day of the Lord and how Isaiah, God through Isaiah, has specified in that day. In that day is a sign, uh, signifies the day of the Lord. And what is the day of the Lord? Well, we'll find out. Um, but here in uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, this is how it reads. We'll read through these six verses and, and uh, we'll open up in prayer and then we'll go into the, the meat of the word. Um, it says this. It says then. So it's a continuation from, from the last chapter. So if you need refreshers, go back and read chapter 10 and chapter 11. Um, and remember that this is a flow from it. So uh, in continuing, Isaiah says, Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to thee, O Lord. See how that focus has shifted just a little bit. Now it's on the person. And for although thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away. And thou dost comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. Hallelujah. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day, you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that His name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself. And that you've made yourself known. And that you've prescribed how it is that we should come to you. We thank you for these many traditions that we can have. And we can remember all the things that you have done. And more. We thank you for the precious things that are written in your word. That reveal to us and, and help us to understand and to grasp more of who it is that you are. And I pray, Lord, that we would be in awe. The more that we read, the more that we spend time in your word, that we would be in more awe of who you are. For you are good. And you are righteous and you are kind. You are glorious in all your ways. And all of creation, it reflects your glory. And when I look upon the faces of men, I see the glory of my God and King. And his his uh, uh, creative powers and the way that you made us. Thank you, Lord, for all these things and more. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for the way that you have made yourself known in this time of the year where we can focus our minds and hearts on, a, on the one who was promised to come and he's promised to come again. And we thank you that it was fulfilled so long ago and that the power of that coming, of that advent, is still felt today, and it changes hearts and minds. For you are good. Thank you, Lord, in this time when so many people, as Carrie prayed, struggle um, with that there is light. I pray that you would just be that light as they walk into darkness, and that they would see that great light and run to it and be saved. 
We thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the hope that you give. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Then I will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me. This is, this is something to, to really think about. Think about the fact that this is a person who's looking and who's acknowledging that God is God, and he's acknowledging what? That, that God is angry with Normally, we don't think about that. Um, before we were saved, oftentimes we thought of ourselves as being okay with God. Or at least maybe I'm just the only one. I thought I was okay with God. Hey, I'm not a murderer. Hey, I don't go do this thing. Hey, I don't go do that. But here is a place when, when we come to know and have an encounter with, the, with this saving branch, with this one that is being spoken of, and what was going to happen in that day, this day of salvation. We are undone. We no longer hold on to the falsehoods of what we had been taught and what we had believed about God. We all of a sudden are encountering the living God and we see Him as He is. And when we see Him as He is, we understand our great, great sin and our great rebellion against God. That's what we see when we have a true encounter. Um. And he says, I will give thanks to you. Remember that that's, that has been the theme for the last three or four weeks that, that I was preaching as we entered into that time of Thanksgiving. It's not a time to stop Thanksgiving. I mean, even in, in uh, Philippians, as we were finishing up there, we spent time just thinking about how to battle against anxiety. And there's a prescription in there. And the primary principle is simple. It's Thanksgiving. It's having a thankful heart. It's having a thankful attitude. It's having uh, an understanding that everything that we have, everything that we get, everything that we can ever um, accomplish in the world or whatever we have or whatever we don't have, it is all from God. And when we realize that we have this attitude within us that grows in this thankfulness, and we want to be thankful. He says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord. It's direct and it's focused. He knows who he's giving thanks to. I am saddened when I think about Thanksgiving and I think about the agnostic and I think about the, um, the anti-theist, the one who refuses to acknowledge God. Because we read in Romans what will happen and how God will treat that person. And it's sad. But the reason Thanksgiving isn't such a big deal to them and why so many of the godless governors around the country were saying, oh, shut down Thanksgiving. Don't go meet with your people. Don't go have your, your family with you. It's because they're godless. They have no one to thank. There's no one that transcends them. They don't acknowledge that there's a God who provides everything. Right? And it's sad. But they don't realize. Um, as, uh, as Charles Spurgeon and some of the other... Uh, um, uh, men of, of faith who were great writers and preachers and teachers have said, um, and R.C. Sproul is one of them. He said, look, if, if God took his hand off of his creation for but a moment, it would be destroyed. It wouldn't exist anymore. So great is our God. And they don't understand that. The lost person cannot understand that that is who we owe everything to is this great God of us. Here the writer says, Isaiah says, then uh, you will say on that day, I will give thanks to the Lord. For although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. 
What is presumed there? Well, one of the things that we don't often think of, we, we hear the message over and over and over and over again that God is love. Oh, God is love. God is love. God is love. It's love. We don't spend enough time thinking about God is also holy. Above all things, He is holy. He's perfect in every single way. And in His holiness, anything that deviates from that perfection that is His is sin. And He's rightfully angry with that deviation. He's rightfully angry with that uh, other than holiness that takes place. And the Bible is clear. Here, the, the, the person that's being spoken of here, he, he's going to give thanks, but he acknowledges, you were angry with me. And the right to be angry with God is his and his alone. He has a right to be angry. As, uh, as uh, Vody Bauckham, Dr. Vody Bauckham has said, the fact that God didn't kill us in our sleep, we should rejoice. Because that's what we deserve. Right? Well, praise God for Jesus because that's not what we're going to get. We're going to get so much more. And he says, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. And what? You comfort me. That's a great God. That's a wonderful Savior. You're angry with me. You have the right to be angry with me, but yet you, you comfort me. It almost sounds like an oxymoron. But here's the thing, when you have an encounter with the living God, a true encounter with the true God, He changes you. He changes you. He makes you new. And He changes your whole perspective. And you get to know intimately the God whom you have encountered. And I'm, I'm fond of saying lately, the, the, the one wonder that I, that I keep coming across is the same God who found me when I was lost. The same God who, who uh, traversed the darkness in order to, to grasp me, to get hold of me, to, to make me come to Him. That same God who I encountered and was cleansed by and was made to know. That same God is the same God that I encounter every single day. And there's no difference. There's no deviation. He's always the same. One of the attributes of God that gives me so much comfort is the fact that God is immutable. He does not change. He cannot change. He will not change. He's awesome in that way. And that same God is the same God who, is, who deserves and who has the right and should be angry when we sin. But at the same time, He comforts those who are His. Sounds like an oxymoron. But it says, and, and He doesn't comfort us in our sin. Don't get that idea. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying He has a right to be angry, but yet He does comfort us, doesn't He? His rod and His staff. The rod is used to fend off wolves, to defend the flock. The staff is used to draw them back and to use them to, to lead them and to guide them. I will give thanks, he says. The prophet speaks as the representative of the people of God. The reasons for praise is God himself. God himself. He's the one. And, and uh, note the individuality of the statement. The, the personal, it is, I will. I will give thanks. I will encounter God and I will thank him personally. God is a personal God. He always has been. The real God. 
Those who say that God is not, the, that He's this impersonal God and, and that you can't really have anything to do with Him, they don't know the God of the Bible. They've been deceived. You don't know Him unless you know Him personally. And so that's one of the things. And, and here the I will is not one of those things where he's proudly lifting himself up and boasting. He's not. He's just acknowledging a simple truth. I will give thanks to him. In the midst of whatever I'm going through, I will give thanks to him. Why? Because he, although he was angry with me, he has turned his anger away. And it was directional, that anger. It went somewhere. And it was focused like a laser beam on that cross. That anger was focused on that cross of Christ. He goes on, he says in verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. That's an awesome statement. Salvation is not something that we do. It's not something that we can do. It's not something that we have earned. It's not something that we could ever earn. It has nothing to do with anything about us. Here's the acknowledgement. Behold, my salvation is God. God himself is the one who is our salvation. It's not something else. It's God himself. It's Emmanuel, God with us. It's the one who was promised that would come. And in that day when he came, and in that day when he was there on the cross, he says, behold, my God is my salvation. He provided that. And without Him, as was said earlier, without God being our salvation, we would have no hope of salvation. That first candle would be useless. Because there would be no hope. Unless God would be our salvation, there is no salvation. And He says, Behold, God is my salvation. Elohim is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. That is, the, uh, that is the, the, the fear that has been removed that we talked about in Ephesians. Ephesians talks about that fear uh, of, of encountering that wrath of God for those who have trusted in Christ. That fear has been removed. It has been replaced. Jesus took that wrath. And we no longer have to fear. He says... For the Lord God, Adonai Elohim, He's my strength and my song. He's not only my salvation, this God that I'm talking about. He's also my strength and He's my song. He's the one who gives me the, the uh, locomotion to move forward, to continue, to press on. And He's also the one who, who uh, inspires in us these songs. Sometimes I think people think I'm crazy because I, when I'm driving down the road, all of a sudden I'll get this song in my head. And I wish I could remember some of them because I remember sometimes I would just, just weep with joy and rejoicing. And I'm singing to my God and my King. And I'm just singing this song that just keeps coming and coming and coming. And it's Him that's inspiring me. It's His Spirit that's welling up inside me and I can't hold it in and I turn off the radio and I just sing because God has given me something. And it's between He and I. And I love the fact that God is such a, a gracious God and a merciful God and a loving God that He records these things. 
You know how we have as parents and grandparents our refrigerators that are full of all this stuff that our kids, grandkids have given. We put it up there proudly. We bug our neighbors and our family and our friends. Hey, look at what my grandkid did. Hey, look at what my son or his daughter did. God, in the same way, loves His children in that way. And He said, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He reiterates, and He has become my strength. That implies the idea that there was once no salvation for that person. And that's the way it was with us, right? We were once not saved. We were once not children of God. We were once just wandering around the people who walk in great darkness. And we weren't looking for light. We're going to read somewhere in, uh, in Isaiah 65. We're going to read and encounter a, 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 an amazing verse. that just blows me away. I've been there for almost two weeks. Just reading it over and over and over again. And it just still perplexes me in, in wonder and in awe. Where this same God. He says. I permitted. I permitted. Myself. To be sought. By people who weren't asking for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who were not even looking for me. That's God getting in your way on purpose. When you weren't looking for Him. I know of no other God that does that. And if He has to, He'll trip you up. In order to do that. Even when you're not looking even when you're not seeking Him. He says, I'll permit myself. Jesus reiterates the same types of word in John chapter 6 and says, whomever the Father reveals, to whomever the, the Father reveals the Son, the Son will reveal the Father. Same idea. But He, <clears throat> excuse me, he says, the Lord God is my strength, my song, and He has become my salvation. He is the source Listen, He is the source and the initiator of salvation. He is the source and the initiator of that salvation. Without Him being that source, without Him being the initiator, none of us would have any salvation. We cannot be saved apart from that. And in Isaiah and in Romans, Paul reiterates that same understanding, that same, under, that same knowledge and that same thing that is written. For there is no one good, not even one. There's no one who seeks God. There's no one who does good. Not even one. No one. Over and over in Isaiah, uh, God, he, he says, I marveled because in that day when I went to save people, there was, I found no one to come alongside me. There was no one. I was astonished. This idea that God is the initiator of it. He is the source of salvation. And that's why He has become the salvation. He is the source of salvation. The Lord God, Yahweh Elohim. The double reference to the name of, of Yahweh. Or of, uh, excuse me, of uh, yeah, Yahweh. Is a poetic emphasis on the certainty of salvation. Provided by Yahweh. He is the covenant God. He's the one that says that he provides salvation and he will grant it to whomever he, we, he pleases. And when he does, praise God, can't nothing get in his way. 
Nothing can thwart the plan of God. So powerful is He. So wonderful is He. So glorious that He has determined before the foundations of the earth to give salvation to people who don't deserve it. To people who could never earn it. To people who aren't even seeking after it. When I had my encounter with Christ, I wasn't looking. I wasn't seeking. I just thought church was the place that you should go. It was the right thing to do. I was leaning on tradition. God had other ideas. He encountered me that day. And He changed me for good. For His good. And I came to know that God on that day in a way that I'd never known. I'd heard about Him almost all my life. But that day I knew Him. He revealed Himself. And He made me new. He took out this heart. He did heart surgery right then and there in the presence of all these people who had no idea what was going on. And he took and he grabbed that old stony heart and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. And he made it new so that I could be, I could be pricked by the, the conscience and so that I could know that I'm not all right with God. I'm a dreadful, wretched sinner. And I'm in the hands the righteous God who sent a Savior and who gave salvation. <clears throat> I'm reminded here in, uh, in Matthew where Jesus, this person that's being spoken of in that day in Matthew, um, the, the, the Christmas story, how appropriate. My mind was, was led to here and it's, uh, it's appropriate because when... Jesus was being announced to the virgins in Matthew chapter 1. And it reads as following, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. And when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had come, done what he did. In Luke, we have that, that account where the Gabriel came from the face of God and God said, go, time. And Mary, he goes to Mary and he announces that this is going to take place. And she's like, what? Wait, hold on a minute. I, I, I don't have a husband. How's this going to be possible? Gabriel says, don't worry, God's got this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will cause this to happen. It'll be by the power of God. And here in, in Matthew, um, verse 19, and Joseph, her husband. Now, they were betrothed at this time. He wasn't truly her husband, but in that culture, he essentially was. It says, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had found, or when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord. So he... Mary apparently came to him and said, hey, I, I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm with child." There's an expectation when women become pregnant, right? And we, we call it, they're expecting. And the expecting has a longing with it and it has the excitement. There's a baby coming. Grandmas especially, they get all crazy. Right? Baby coming. 
Oh, my baby, my grandbaby. Yeah. And they get all these, you know, hormones and all these other things that just attack their brain. They get all crazy. And it's a wonderful. It's an ex- expected, an expectancy that, that is longing. And it's exciting. Mary tells her betrothed they're not married, so they have no adult relations. And those of you who are men, you know, put yourself in that position. He's like, uh, wait, what? How, how is this possible? Well, an angel came and, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. That doesn't make sense. Like, I'm going to have to put her away. I love her. I care about her. But I'm going to have to do this in secret. I don't, I don't want to shame her. What did he think? He thought she was unfaithful. God in his providence. Step away. He has other plans. Like, no, nope, this isn't going to happen this way. You are not going to thwart my plan. So what does he do? Um, in verse 20, but when he had considered this, he considered putting her, uh, putting her away, giving her a writ of divorcement. <clears throat> he considered this. Behold, the angel of the Lord, the angelos, the messenger of the Lord, comes to him in a dream, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He's saying she's, she's still yours. She's still your wife. She's still worthy. There's something that God did. Get out the way because God's moving here. But stay on course. Get out of the way because God is doing what He's going to do, but stay on course at the same time. Continue on in the plans that you had. Not to divorce her, but to marry her. God was working in this all behind the scenes. This, this angel comes, this angelos, this messenger of God comes to him. And so that's which she is pregnant, but it's of the Holy Spirit. She's not had any relations. And then it says in verse 21, and she will bear a son. Now listen, he says, and you shall call him Jesus. That name. That awesome name, that powerful name, that glorious name, that wonderful name. The name, the only name given under heaven by which men must be saved. The name of Jesus. Yeshua in the Hebrew. Jesus in the Greek. Jesus to us. Jesus to my people. His name means God is salvation. Wait, what did we read in chapter 12? God is salvation. He's my salvation. And He shall become my salvation. The same thing, it ties in, it fits in with everything that we're doing, that we do at this time of the year. And He says to, to uh, back in Matthew, He says, She shall bear a son, and you shall name Him Jesus. For it is He who will save His people from what? From their sin. He's going to save salvation. You no longer have to fear the living God because He's going to be your salvation. See, God, the Son, the Christ, the Messiah, He is the God who was sent in that mysterious 
uh, package that is 100% human, at the same time, 100% deity. And the two shall never mix. He had a 100% human nature, and he had a 100% deity nature. He was fully God, fully man. That's why he's Emmanuel. At that time, when he came, this little baby that was being spoken of, who's already been given a name, where did the name come from? It came from God himself. It was given way back here in Isaiah. And it was given even before that, if you go clear back to Genesis. So let me finish reading here in Matthew. And he says, and, you, and she will bear a son, and you shall name his, his you shall name, uh, call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Saying, here we go back to Isaiah, that famous verse in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 4. Behold, the virgin will be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took her as his wife. And he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name. He was obedient. An encounter with Christ and with the living God, it begins to do something and change us. It begins to produce in us obedience. Obedience to the things of God. Where before we couldn't do those things, now all of a sudden, it changes us. Going back to Isaiah chapter uh, 12, he says in verse 13, or excuse me, verse 3, Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. So the salvation that he's going to provide, it's going to be water, like drawing water when you're thirsty. When you've been out in the sun all day long working and there's no water to be inside and all of a sudden, no water to be found, all of a sudden somebody comes along with water. It's going to be refreshing. It's going to revive you. It's going to work within you. In John chapter 4, we have a similar thing that happened Um, in John chapter 4 it reads like this verses 13 through 14 Jesus answered and said to her when he encountered the woman at the well and you know the story I'll let you go read John chapter 4 to find out the backstory of this but in these particular verses it it speaks of much of the same thing the joy that, that is found from drawing waters from the spring of salvation who is provided by God because salvation is God himself Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, the well, Jacob's well, everybody who drinks that water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. Your soul will be satisfied. That thirst for righteousness, that thirst for hope, that thirst for salvation, that thirst for forgiveness, that thirst for redemption will be realized. And here's the wonderful thing. You can drink as much as you want. There's no tax on it. There's no cost. He 
says, come and drink. There's no cost. He paid the price. Hallelujah. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him. See, that water is going to transform. It's going to change. It will not be conformed to the water that we know of, like the water that I have here. It's going to be different. It's going to be something beyond that. He says, that water that I give them um, will become in that person that drinks of this well, this water, a well of water. We're walking wells if we're in Christ. There's people out there, y'all, who are thirsty. And we have that drink to offer. We have that well within us that springs forth with living water to the lost. It says, and, and, and I, the water that I give them will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. To eternal life. That's the idea of the joy that we have in drawing this water from the springs of salvation. Verse 4 in, in Isaiah, And in that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that His name is exalted. The, uh, the amazing thing here is, is this is the same kind of language that we find in the New Testament. It's not so far removed. Although there was hundreds and hundreds of years between these things, it's the same type of language. It's the same type of things that we find that we encountered here. When people say um, uh, in 2019 there was a, uh, a pastor, Andy Stanley, of a large, huge church, twenty to 30,000 people on any given Sunday will attend or watch. And he infamously said one thing that I think is really stupid. He's going to call it what it is. He says, I think that we as a church need to unhitch ourselves. You know, in the New Testament, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. But yet when we read things like this, without the Old Testament, there is no New Testament. You have to know where that foundation is. You have to know where that source is. You have to know why. And he was trying to be all cool. He was trying to be hip. He was trying to, to draw people who aren't even saved. And who have no interest in being saved. They're not interested in salvation. They're interested in being part of a, something where they can go get you know, their rock concert and do all that stuff and be entertained. But the similar language we find here in, uh, in Isaiah. And in that day you will say give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that His name is exalted. In Romans 10, we find this. Paul writes this, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That what? That if you confess with your mouth, you speak, you call on His name. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and remember, at the time when, when this is written to Romans, this was when Caesar worship was being pushed. And you had one common thing that you had to say as you provided 
a, a uh, um, at the altars of the uh, all the false gods and at the altar of the of the Caesars. You had to say Kaiser et Curios. Caesar is Lord. As you offered up your offering to these false gods. To the Christian, though, it's not so. When Paul wrote this, and the, the penalty was death, if you didn't offer that, the Christians, those rotten Christians, those ah, stubborn Christians that just won't bow the knee to Caesar, they will not say that. They will only say, Jesus, Jesus, yes, Kurios. Jesus is Lord, and there is no other. In Romans, Paul says this. That's why he says this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. I love that positive, definitive language. He says, if you do this, you will be saved. There's no if, and, or buts about it. That's what's wonderful about salvation. It's sure. John writes his whole book in the book of John for one purpose. He says it in John chapter 20. There's a reason why I wrote this book. I wrote this for what? I wrote this book so that you may hope. So that you may just maybe believe. No, he says, I wrote this book so that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know it. There's no question about it. That's why we can confidently ask Christians when we know Christ, when we, why we can say, when I die, I know that I won't taste death, but I'm going to be in the presence of my God, not for judgment, but to rejoice. Because my sin has been forgiven. It has been paid for. That's why we call upon His name. And He also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, by the way, that's the way that Abraham came to be accounted as righteous. He believed. At 99 years old, God said, you're going to come this time next year, and you're going to be a papa. And he didn't doubt it. He said, all right. I don't know how you're going to do that, but that's awesome. And he believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. Amazing. Same thing here. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With a mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. There's no disappointment in God, y'all. Finally, in verse 5 and 6, praise the Lord in song. It's okay to sing to, to, the, to the Lord. It's okay to raise your hands and to worship in music. So sing a song to the Lord. For He has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. He says, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. I want to share this with you guys. Um, and I want to pull this up real quick. 
I got a um, on my uh, <clears throat> Facebook page. I got such an encouraging and such an amazing thing, and I just had to thank God. And I want to read this to you. She posted this yesterday. And she knows now what this is about. This is what she wrote and she's recorded. She says, let me tell you a little something about myself. My name is Gabrielle Rodriguez. 28 years old. And I have really bad anxiety. Maybe some of you that are listening have really bad anxiety. Maybe you don't know that there's hope. Maybe you don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you hear voices. Listen to what she says. She says, recently, I have been really down to the point where my anxiety was controlling me physically and mentally. That's hopeless. That's dread. That's darkness. And she says, I couldn't stand it any, uh, couldn't stand it anymore. I had these worse thoughts, these terrible thoughts in my head to hurt myself. That's how bad it got. Maybe there's somebody out there listening and they've got the same voices. Don't cave into them. They're not of God. This is what she says. She says, I couldn't stand it anymore. I had these worst thoughts in my head to hurt myself. But then I cried out to God to help. To help me to heal the hurt in my head and in my heart. See, my niece, she lost her mom when she was a little girl. She didn't get to grow up with her mama. She lost her second mother, my mom, her grandma. They were super close. She lost her last year. She lost my grandfather, her grandfather, my dad. She didn't have a dad growing up. But she didn't understand why all these things were happening. She was really struggling. She says, I cried out to God to help me, to heal my hurt and to heal my heart and my head. I dropped to my knees and I told him, okay, God, I'm listening. I give you my life. And I give it to you. In that moment. Listen. In that moment she says. This is her own witness. This is what she says. She says in that moment. All the voices in my head were gone. Hallelujah. I felt at peace with them. Instantaneous. This is the encounter that I'm talking about. Y'all. An encounter with light when we who walk in darkness have seen that great light. It changes us instantaneously. I gave my, I just, uh, I cried and cried. She said, I felt at peace with myself. I cried and cried thanking him. I just gave my life to God and I was healed. No more voices telling me to hurt myself. No more confusion. This is my story. And I don't know where it will lead me, but this feeling that I have, I never want it to go away. Hallelujah. And that, that, that sudden passionate feeling may leave, but it sinks deeper. And it's lodged into our minds and we understand it. 
But even if we don't feel that way anymore, He's still there. Because God is salvation. She says, this is my story, and I don't know where it will lead me, but this feeling that I have, I never want it to go away. For those who have anxiety and those thoughts in your head, you're not alone. I was one of them. I'm just letting you know He is there for you. In your darkest days, especially in these times. God is good. God is salvation. God is the one who can set us free. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all deserving of God's wrath. Every single one of us. Even in Isaiah, we see that God was working through him to tell, tell about this wonderful time. This encounter that my, that my niece has, I pray that you've had that encounter. That you've come to know this same God. Twenty some years later, he's the same God. Who encountered this lost sinner. Called him home. Said it's time. No more messing around. Come home. It's the same God that I still encounter today. I don't deserve it. None of us do. But that is the glory of God. In his salvation. He is salvation. He does make us new. He does provide new life. And he gives us a life that is abundant. And it's only the beginning. Her story is just beginning. She's already kind of an evangelist. Doesn't even know it. She's out there telling her friends, this is what happened to me. All I know is those voices are gone. And I called upon the name of Jesus. See, Romans 10 has become real for her. And I was praising and rejoicing God in God because just... A day and a half before that, I was praying for my nieces and nephews. And I get this. I'm like, God, you're so good. Don't deserve it. Thank you for answering that prayer. Now go get the rest of them. Go get them, Lord. Turn them. Let them honor their grandparents who they love and miss so much. By surrendering. Surrendering. That's the God that Isaiah is talking about. The God who is salvation. The God that we can know. The God that we can, can encounter and be made new. We can have our sins forgiven. We can have all those things forgotten. And we never have to visit them again. In fact, we shouldn't. There's a no fishing sign there. The Bible tells us that God, when we're forgiven and when those sins are removed, when we're redeemed, that they are put into the sea of forgetfulness, as it says in the, in the King James. And in that sea of forgetfulness, there's a sign that says no fishing allowed. You don't go back and go fishing for them. They're forgiven. The enemy's going to sometimes come to you and say, yeah, but you're guilty of this and you're guilty of that. You've done this and you've done that. When that voice comes, say the Lord rebuke you. I'm guilty of more than that. But those things have been forgiven. Because Jesus is greater than all my sin. His sacrifice pays for it all. And that brings us to the next portion of our, of our service, which is communion. 
This is the same saving branch, the same salvation. This is the one that we find us, uh, who we find it in is in Christ. And he's given us this commandment, this ordinance that we should participate in. And he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what he did on the night that he was, he was uh, forsaken. On the night when he was, he was uh, betrayed. And that's what I love about what Christ has done, is He's given us these things to help us remember. He paid that price on that cross. He took our sin right there. And in accordance with Colossians, it says that our debt has been nailed to the cross. It says that literally. Has your debt been paid? That's the question. That's the question that you have to answer. Has your debt been paid? Do you know it? Do you know him? Does he know you? You can. It simply says in the book of John to receive him. Receive him. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, he gives the right to become a child of God. To those who believe on his name. Who were born not of the will who were born not of the will of man, and who were born not of the blood, but are born of God. It's a supernatural thing that God does. That's why in Isaiah he tells us God is salvation. It's supernatural, y'all. He is the source. He is the initiator. And that's what we remember, that Jesus came. He was foretold that He would come, and that He would be born of a virgin, and that He would have a name. And His name is the greatest name of all. His name is powerful. It's powerful to save. Jesus is that name. Yeshua is that name. Jesus is that name. Jesus is that name. His name is Jesus. God is salvation. And He came to save His people. He's got a people, y'all. Are you His people? That's the question. Communion is given for those who, who believe and who trust in Christ, that we should participate in, and that we should remember. And he says, as often as you remember this, in fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, uh, Paul, as he's writing here in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this, <clears throat> starting in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord, the Lord here being Jesus, the risen Christ, he says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord, in the, uh, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And he, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the great God that we know. That's a great God that we can know. He says, this is for you. This is so you can be reconciled. This is so you can be forgiven. This is so you can be redeemed. And he came so that we can know who God is. So that we can be forgiven. And then he said, and in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As uh, Brianna, Miss Brianna said, um, and so so uh, correctly that she read the scriptures 
The law cannot provide salvation. You cannot have salvation. Because the law isn't salvation. God is salvation. God is salvation. He himself. Encounter him. Encounter him. He says, as often as you do this, you know, this is the cup in the, in the, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as, uh, as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink uh, this bread, or eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He came and he died on that cross. It was just a, just a weekend reservation. But three days later, Christ had risen. Christ had risen. Christ has risen. God is good. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in the Lord of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks eats and drinks judgment to himself. He does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak, sick, and a number sleep. And that sleep is a dirt nap. Not to be so crass, but that's what it is. Some of y'all have died because you've done this in an unworthy manner. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. Hallelujah. You know Jesus. You are forgiven. You got something to confess to Him? Confess it to Him. Make yourself. Know that keep short accounts with God because that's what He died for. Forgive us our sins. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for how you love us. We thank you that you are salvation. That you made yourself known. Thank you, Lord, for the good news of my niece who found peace. Oh, how I praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy and your grace. Encounter, encountering her and meeting her in that place of need. And you were there instantly. You were always there. The glorious God that you are. And I pray that you would do the same with those who are listening and those who are hearing and those who are watching by whatever means. They would receive. They would cry out. They would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your graciousness and your kindness. Thank you for what you did and what you do and what you will do. We thank you that in all these things that you are the one who is glorified and exalted. We thank you for your graciousness and kindness. We thank you, Lord, for you are the living God. And you are salvation. Be so today to someone in Jesus' name. Amen.